Alright guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tuesday Podcast. It is Tuesday, March 19th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, another NCAA Tournament region preview uh, like we did with the Midwest region before. Uh, what I'm doing is going through sharing uh, our 30 plus minute discussions that we're doing on the Marching to Madness podcast, which I host as well, uh, putting them on here in their entirety that way. If you're an SEC fan or fan of one of these teams in the field, you have a better idea of what uh, your particular team is going to have to navigate to get to uh, the Final Four uh, in that particular region. So uh, when you look around uh, here, we're going to the West now. The Florida Gators, the only SEC team in that part of the bracket, and they will definitely have a tough road to Minneapolis if they want to get there uh, as the Gators will start off against number 7 seed Nevada. But uh, we went through, broke down all the games in this region, uh, had some sleeper pick, and uh, what surprises there could be in terms of a region champion here in the West. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Here is our 2019 NCAA Tournament West Region Preview. Ken, we are going to go to your part of the country. Uh, As everyone knows, your favorite uh, place that there is of all the geographic regions and that is the West, and uh, we're going to head out there to talk about uh, what's a fun, and also there's a lot of sort of interesting storylines, I think, with this particular region. Uh, when you look at the, the teams that are in it, and maybe a region where we could see some chaos, I think, and that's what everybody wants in the NCAA tournament, but Ken, I don't think we're going to see chaos uh, at the top, and that's where we'll start, uh, as we do with all these, we'll break down each particular game, and then we will go through some very intriguing questions uh, later on in the show to give you certain picks uh, for some of our winners here in this side of the bracket. But we do start at the top. Number one, Gonzaga will take on uh, the winner of the play-in game, number 16 seed, uh, either Fairley Dickinson or Prairie View A&M. That will take place uh, in Salt Lake City. Again, I think there's really, you know, uh, matchup-wise, that there's a lot of directions. You know, you can go. I think it's clear that the Zag is going to be the favorite, no matter who wins the playing game. Uh, but overall, just uh, some things that stand out. Certainly, it's a team that that's the most efficient offensive team in the country. Uh, when you look at their two-point field goal percentage, just how they're able to get shots all season long. Uh, they have the intangibles, and I think that's something when you look at a national champion, no matter what conference they're playing in, you, everybody's going to have sort of that uh, memory of the the WCC championship game where they flat out didn't play well. Uh, but this team is certainly uh, legit, and it could very well be one of Mark Few's best teams he's had there. Yeah, I think so, and I think it starts with Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark. You know, these two guys together average 36.6 points per game. It's a Gonzaga team that uh, leads the nation at 88.8 points. And I, you know, I I think what St. Mary's did the other day in the WCC championship game was amazing and how they uh, just stymied this uh, uh, offensive fortress known as Gonzaga. They had Zach Norville, uh, you know, the three-point shooter all out of sorts. I just think that, uh, you know, this team has got uh, the wow factor, the it factor, and the capability 
uh, to win six in a row and cut down the nets in Minneapolis. Well, and for everyone, like I said a minute ago, and you just mentioned it too, game plan-wise, for everyone that's ready to hop off the Gonzaga bandwagon after they put up 47 points against St. Mary's in a conference championship game, a couple things. Look around at other conference championship games. There are very high seeds in this tournament. Look at Tennessee. Look at Houston. Uh, there are probably others that I'm forgetting as well who simply didn't have it in their conference championship game. Keep this in mind, too. <laughs> this Gonzaga team only scored under 70 points twice during the regular season, that is, before they had that 47-point effort uh, against St. Mary's. So three times on the entire year to this point, two of those were to St. Mary's. And so it's like, let's calm down a bit. They only scored under 70 points three times, twice to St. Mary's. Let's not get carried away just because they have a bit of a bad performance uh, in a conference championship game. And like you said, too, the Zags are undoubtedly a national title contender, uh, and we'll get more into that as we go along. But let's go ahead and move to what figures to be a, a much more competitive game, and that's number eight, Syracuse. Taking on number nine, Baylor. That's also in Salt Lake City. It takes place on Thursday, 9.57 p.m. Eastern. Syracuse currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. Um, you know, Kim, we go back to the Midwest. We talk about the zone effect. We mentioned it in the Utah State-Washington matchup. I think it applies here as well. The 2-3 zone that we know Syracuse has made its own throughout the years, the preparation for that, um, it's easier for the first game, but that's why, you know, we see Syracuse, it seems like, advance and surprise some of these years. It's not easier on such a quick turnaround, and I think that's one thing people will look at with the Zags, should that be the second-round matchup, but it's not going to be an easy uh, thing. Uh, for the Orange to advance because Baylor, very good offensive rebounding team. We know Scott Drew, one of the most underrated coaches in the country, has been for years. Another underrated job this year. However, the Bears have lost four straight. Not exactly playing their best basketball right now. However, this is one of the most intriguing matchups here, no doubt. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a uh, you know a possession game. I I think that Syracuse though and, and this might go somewhat against what they want to do although we've seen them speed games with their offense I think Syracuse is going to win the matchups with Tyus Battle and then you know the length inside O'Shea Brissett Pascal Chukwu uh, they're going to be huge matchup problems for the Baylor Bears uh, I, I like you say I like what uh, Scott Drew's done. Makai Mason transferred there from Yale. He's had some injury problems, but he's, you know, he's a great shooter. He's led him in scoring all year, and then he's got two players coming off the bench: uh, Freddie Gillespie and Devonte Bandu, that has made the Baylor Bears a deeper team. I just like Syracuse. I think to. Uh, uh, go on and play Gonzaga, which, you know, we're talking about St. Mary's. How would that 2-3 zone of Syracuse, albeit a much different type of defensive uh, uh, presence, how would that slow the Zags down? Yeah, uh, another thing on that, and you mentioned the zone. If there's a, there's a way you can exploit the zone, we mentioned this in the Utah State-Washington matchup in the Midwest, it's rebounding. It's offensive boards being able to get extra opportunities, and that's where I think Baylor has the best shot here. They have to find second-chance opportunities. Uh, they have to be able to score you know, points on the offensive end in that particular way because it's not going to be easy to get great shots here. Um, and, you know, with Syracuse, look at their schedule. 
they, they don't have many losses this season to non-NCAA tournament teams. A lot of their losses came to some of the and, – and really, you can throw NC State in there as well. NC State was right on the bubble. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree whether it should have been or not, uh, that that's your opinion. But they don't have many losses to teams that did not get into this field. I think you look up and down it, there's only three. Georgia Tech, um, UConn, maybe it's only – yeah, NC State, that's the other one I was thinking about. So really, like we said, you know, 13 losses, but when you look at it that way, maybe they didn't get a ton of great wins, but they did get some really good wins, and a lot of theirs came uh, in some of these games where they simply just couldn't find a way to beat uh, some of these, these upper-tier teams for the Orange. So that is undoubtedly going to be a tough matchup for the Bears, like we said, a team that, that really has played well throughout the season but not necessarily uh, playing their best basketball here over the past several weeks. Uh, moving on down, we go to the number five seed Marquette against number 12 Murray State. That will take place in Hartford on Thursday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Marquette currently a four-and-a-half-point yeah, four favorite. Wow, Ken, boy, it's going to be tough to find a storyline in this one, isn't it? Yeah, really. Marcus <laughs> Howard against, there you go, Ja Morant. You know, an epic shootout. Howard uh, averages about 25 points a game. Morant, 24.6 but Morant gets 10 assists per night. So I think it's going to be up-tempo. I think, I think actually Murray State may have the, the better athletes overall. Uh, Shaq Buchanan has been a really good player, especially on the defensive end this year. He averages 1.8 steals per game. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. Uh, Marquette, you know, they've struggled here near the end of the season. They've lost five out of their last six and four in a row, but but I, I like the racers. They're they're too good to pass up right here. Well, there's your uh, spoiler alert for what Oops. we're going to be talking about later. That's all right. We're going to get back to it because there's so there's another added layer to that, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, the twelve five twelve. We always know it's one of the most appealing upset potential matchups you're going to find on the bracket. Uh, and, and when you have John Morant, who is a top three draft pick for sure. Uh, th- there's no doubt it makes it even more intriguing. And here's the thing you look at, too. Marquette's biggest strength is three-point shooting. It's Murray State's biggest strength defensively in how they've defended the three. They are fourth in the country, uh, are the racers, and holding opponents to an average of 28.5% from three-point land this year. So if you take away one of Marquette's biggest strengths, uh, that can certainly you know, kind of lean in your favor if you're Murray State. Uh, they can also force turnovers, and that's something that uh, is always plays a role too. And, hey, Marquette isn't the greatest when it comes to taking care of the ball. And, you know, they would be the first to tell you that. They've had many times this year where they've struggled to be consistent when it comes to taking care of the ball. Different types of approaches for these two teams, uh, but pretty similar. When you think about Marquette, a perimeter-oriented team, Whereas Murray State, you know, takes a lot more shots inside the perimeter. They're fifth in the country in two-point field goal percentage. But, man, Ken, when you have two of the best players in the country scoring-wise going up against each other, I think you get throw out a lot of the statistical stuff just out the window because you never know when either one of these two guys are just going to go off. Right, and, and it's going to be fun. I think that uh, Matt, you know, he's got to be looked at now, you know, people recruit off that Murray State sideline. When you look at uh, guys like Mark Gottfried, Mick Croden, Steve Prome, uh, you know, who are all there and now, uh, you know, moved on to other jobs. And, and he, he does such a good job. He, 
he's got such a, a, a good handle on the running game and transition and how to play. Um, and then the Big East in general, I don't think it had you know that great a year, as good a year maybe as they thought they would have. And and you know even as Marquette struggled down the stretch, they never relinquished you know their uh, second place. Yep, and it's just, I mean, it is. We, we can talk all the stats we want, but everybody's going to be focused on two players in this game. Um, and in those games like that, Ken, sometimes it can come down to the other players that decide how things are going to unfold. Undoubtedly, one of the most anticipated first-round matchups of this entire tournament. Uh, so you want to be sure to tune in there, uh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. That is going to be a very exciting matchup. Moving on down, uh, number four, Florida State, taking on number 13, Vermont, also in Hartford there on Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern. We, we've we liked Vermont over the years, Ken, and we've said it. I mean, you know, you talk about John Becker, just what a job he's done with that program throughout the years. Um, and, you know, they have experience. They have a guy in Anthony Lamb, 21.4 points per game. Uh, they they are good at sort of preventing second-chance opportunities. That's their strengths. But I think matchup-wise, this was not the best draw for Vermont going up against a Florida State team with that defense. Uh, they've only lost two games since January 20th, and guess what? Those two games were to Duke and North Carolina. I, I just I like the Catamounts. Like I said, it's one of those teams I think with a different draw would be a more popular upset pick. But, boy, the Seminoles are rolling, and, and they have – we talk about teams with Final Four potential, and we'll go more into that later on. There's no doubt that this team has what it takes to roll off a lot of wins to get there. Yeah, I, I think they're set up for a really deep run. I, I like the fact that Leonard Hamilton, Leonard is one of the most underappreciated coaches in the country. I mean, he built this program, you know, pretty much from scratch. And now, you know, as we've seen it move forward, it's it's a top four or five program in the ACC every year, which is tough, you know, with uh, – Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina winding up as, you know, the top three teams in the AP poll. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, the big thing I like about them, you can't game plan for who might uh, uh, beat you on offense. You know, uh, Fiondu, Cab, and Gelly leads them in scoring at 12.8 points per game, but they've got eight or nine people between seven and 12.8 points per game. So they, you, you don't know where it's coming from. I mean, on a lot of other teams, Terrence Mann would have gotten big numbers, but the teams wouldn't have been successful. So I, I, I like the Seminoles, man. I, I think, again, you know, like you're saying, only two losses uh, since I think the one and four start, and they flirted with beating Duke twice. Uh, it's <laughs> That starting lineup, we, we think about – what they did last year and you get guys back that have sort of that experience from from that type of run uh that played big roles in that particular run i think it just it adds another layer to this team as well as they were during the regular season i think they're prepared for this type of uh tournament as we've seen here like you said uh the success they've had in the past Boy, it's just uh, it's one of those things where Florida State's one of those teams you really got to keep an eye on here just based on how the bracket unfolds there in the West. All right, Ken, uh, next up, number six, Buffalo, will take on uh, the 11th seed, which will be either Arizona State or St. John's. These games 
will take place in Tulsa. Of course, the Arizona State St. John's take place in Dayton. Let's just let's turn our focus to this this first four game first. And I know you're a conference of champions guy. Um, you're someone who who watches that conference more, and it's one of those deals where I don't think anyone thought ever that they were going to get three bids into this tournament uh, based on how the season went. I will say this. If I had to pick between one of those two teams that I think should have gotten the tournament and should not have gotten the tournament, I said to you while we were at the SEC tournament, I've said it uh, for a little while now, I just didn't understand the St. John's thing when you look at their overall resume. No. I just I didn't see it. And I, I that's again, I am not someone who dives into every tiny little facet of every little ranking that's used and metric and all this. Uh, you can compare, you could do that for every single team, and you're going to find a different argument based on a certain metric here or there. But I just didn't see it with St. John's, and that's not just the eye test. That's that's other things involved as well, but I just didn't see it. And, you know, them getting in over a team like UNC Greensboro, which was the first team out, um, I didn't see it. But guess what? We've said that about other teams in the past too, and what's happened is we've seen some of those teams win a couple games in this tournament, and it's like, well, we're not really having that argument anymore. And it's not, you know, it's something we could argue about a lot, but guess what? They're in the tournament. They are in this field, and they have an opportunity uh, to play, you know, for a chance to take on Buffalo, uh, which would certainly be a very fun matchup. But, you know, that's kind of how I look at it, Ken, the the non-Buffalo side of this. Uh, Arizona State St. John's going to be a good game. You never know about these first four games, but I feel like there is sort of that unknown, unpredictable effect when you get two teams like this that that people made an argument for saying, hey, if they don't get in, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that that are saying, oh, wow, how did that happen? Just because their overall resumes lacked a little bit of something. Yeah, really. I I think Arizona State definitely belongs in here. When you watch Lugans Dort, uh, he's one of the more underappreciated talents of the country. He was a Pac-12 freshman of the year. Uh, And and then, you know, they've got uh, Remy Martin on that point as a really solid, heady point guard with a good basketball IQ. You can really tell that Bobby Hurley has tutored him uh, and has made him a better basketball player in the two years he's been there. And then Romello White and Xylem Cheatham on that inside. Uh, This is an Arizona State team that, uh, you know, averaged 77.7 points per game. Uh, Their defense improved this year as it was down to 41% in defensive field goal percentage. And I I think a Sun Devils-Buffalo game would be a really hot matchup. I mean, with Bobby Hurley against the school he coached there for two years. And then Nate Oates, I think he's another guy. He's got to be on everybody's radar because the style of ball he plays and how tough his teams are. You know, it's a senior-oriented Buffalo basketball team. They've won four out of their last five games, and I think C.J. Massenburg is going to be a tough matchup, uh, you know, for either the Sun Devils or uh, the Red Storm, although I think Arizona State's going to run them to the curb. Well, like you said, the NCAA, boy, they just they do all this by accident, don't they? Yeah, by accident. <laughs> it, I, <it's> I wonder, <laughs> why do they think? Why do they think uh, people are are oblivious to all well, that? I mean, it's an insult to your intelligence. Well, to out loud. Well, when you're talking about intelligence, I don't necessarily think that's the first thing you go for when no. it comes to the NCAA at no. times. You know that uh, the Buffalo Arizona State would certainly be intriguing in terms of just kind of 
looking at it, and you do feel like it sets up really well for Buffalo. Um, either way, when you look at how they play, the, the up-and-down style, but it would certainly be fun uh, to see that matchup against either team, really. But Arizona State, like you said, uh, would certainly be a lot of fun to see that. Buffalo's a team that, boy, they take care of the ball. They shoot the ball well. Um, one issue I see, the free-throw shooting percentage, that's something we always look at, too. They're not great at that. They're 249th in the country in that. Maybe if they get deeper into some of these close games against tougher competition, maybe that becomes an issue. But uh, I do like the way it sets up for Buffalo, no matter which team advances. Uh, but it will be a, a an intriguing matchup at least. And, and certainly I think everyone's kind of, you know, St. John's fans aren't hoping it happens. But I think a lot of people would love to see Buffalo against Arizona State uh, in that particular matchup. Going on to the next one, number three, Texas Tech against number 14, Northern Kentucky. That is also on Friday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern in Tulsa. John Brandon, uh, you can't say enough about what he's done uh, with that Northern Kentucky program over the past several years. That uh, They have just continued to, to kind of say, hey, we're, we're here. We're, we're here now. We're getting into the tournament, uh, and you can expect us to be there. And I think he's going to be someone you're going to hear a lot in some of these coaching searches uh, that happen around the country because of how much success he's had there thus far. Um, You know, I I think looking at this, it's another one of those things where Northern Kentucky might be a popular upset pick in a different scenario, but boy, Texas Tech, the number one team in the country in defensive efficiency, how they're able to just stifle their opponents um, inside the perimeter, pretty much all over the place. It's going to be tough for Northern Kentucky, even though they are 23rd in the country, two-point field goal percentage at 55.3%. Texas Tech's defense, that's what this game's about here. Uh, If they're able to kind of dictate how they want this to go, it's going to be an uphill climb, I think, for Northern Kentucky. Oh, I agree. I think Northern Kentucky and and maybe a lot of people are in trouble right here against Texas Tech. That Texas Tech-Buffalo game in round of 32, or Texas Tech-Arizona State, for that matter, uh, you know, I think Buffalo would be more equipped to to beat Texas Tech. But, you know, Jarrett Culver, let's talk about him a minute. Point guard comes back as sophomore. His game has risen as the season's gone on. He's shot 48.7%, leads Chris Beard's team with 17.9 points per game. This is the top defensive team in the nation. Not Virginia, not Michigan. You know, it was a it, well by Cincinnati standards, it was an off year, but they yeah. still had a great defense. They they only give up thirty six point eight percent from the floor and fifty eight point six per game. I'm full of numbers. Okay, I look like <laughs> a, a, a a a pinball machine, but whatever. Anyway, uh, the Red Raiders uh, all day. If it comes into a free throw line issue, the Norse could be in trouble. They only shoot 66.5% from the line. Yep, and like you said, it's just how they are able to attack Texas Tech on defense. That's going to be the name of the game. If they can't get good shots, um, if they can't get what they want offensively, it's going to be a long day there for them. Uh, but like we said, that's not to knock. The, what an unbelievable job John Brandon's done. There with the Norse, and they will try to pull an upset uh, like all these teams will uh, in these lower seeds that, that maybe are just kind of getting overlooked. But, boy, that's a, that's a tough matchup there against the Red Raiders. All right, uh, going to the number seven, and that's Nevada taking on number 10 Florida in Des Moines on Thursday at 6.50 p.m. Eastern. Nevada is a two-point favorite 
according to the odds makers, uh, easily one of the most intriguing first-round matchups, I think, when you look across the board uh, in any region. You've got a contrast in styles for sure when you think about here, the experience that Nevada has, uh, how they take care of the ball, the depth, the points. But you're going up against a Florida team that forces turnovers, that's biggest strength is its ability to defend on the perimeter, I think, not allow opponents to get great shots outside. You, you know, Ken, I'll tell you, when this first came out, I looked at it and said, I don't necessarily love it for Florida to have this kind of matchup. If they can just have that offensive firepower, and you and I said this, you, you mentioned this to me while we were at the SEC tournament. If Andrew Nimhard, if Noah Locke, if guys like that are hitting shots from outside along with Kayvon Allen, Florida can be a very dangerous team, even against a team like Nevada that had that run last year, has pretty much its entire nucleus back. They're still out to prove something, I think, just getting a seventh seed here. Either way, this is going to be a very, very intriguing game based on how these two teams play. Well, you know, first of all, Nevada is is a team that uh... – shouts for the eye test they were 29 and 4 they they had trouble in in true road environments in the mountain west they also had trouble against uh teams that were defense and tempo oriented san diego state beat them twice san diego state bounced them actually in the semifinals of the uh, mountain west tournament so the idea you know then comes into play well florida is probably the biggest tempo oriented team as far as slow and tempo in the sec but the power game belongs to nevada with caleb martin and jordan caroline and then of course cody martin and a couple of guys i I like trayshawn thurman on the inside for coach eric musselman he's had a great year and then trey porter came over and he's been solid from old dominion it feels like that it's going to be whoever dictates tempo, but at the end of the day, I think in a in a in a game in the sixties or or whatever, I still think Nevada wins. I think they've got too much uh, physicality and power for Florida. Although well, Florida's played a lot better, you know, you're lately. And that's the thing is Florida's, you know, they they have they've had a weird year because. They've had some stretches where they've proven they can they can hang with anybody, and then they've also had games where they just don't have enough offensive consistency to be able to hang, even as good as their defense is. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Florida's got to hit shots earlier. I told somebody uh, as well on another podcast I was doing, if Florida can't afford to get down early in a game like this, you know, you looked at that LSU game in the SEC tournament. They got down early. Florida did. Still able to come back. But that was against a much less experienced team. Uh, in these kind of situations, I just don't think Florida can afford to get down, let's say, double digits early. Uh, th- it's going to be much harder to rally against a team like this that can just explode offensively like Nevada can, has all those different players uh, that have been in the spot before. So that's going to be the key uh, there for the Gators in that matchup. All right, uh, to wrap up the first-round uh, matchups here, number two, Michigan. It's number 15, Montana, also in Des Moines on Thursday, 9.20 p.m. Eastern. Michigan, a 16-point favorite at the moment. I think it's another case, Ken, of Montana in a different scenario, maybe. Uh, You know, I don't know, but I still look at this and think, if we're looking at all the 215 matchups, 
I'm not saying Montana is going to upset uh, Michigan. Please don't take it that way. It's not. I just don't see that. I don't think it's going to happen. But I do think Montana has the best chance of the 15 seeds to pull off that 215 upset that Most happens occasionally. And, and here's why. is because you, you have a team that is experienced. That's what we always love. We love the experience. They're six nationally experienced when you look at Ken Palm. Michigan has a huge size advantage. Um, their style of play, the John Beeline effect, Michigan's defensive efficiency. We said Texas Tech's number one when it comes to defense. Well, Michigan's number two. And they don't beat themselves. Michigan doesn't. They're, they only turn it over nine times a game. That's the best of any team in the country. But Montana shoots the ball pretty well. And I, I think it's a kind of scenario where everything statistically, and I don't want to say everything, but there's a lot of things statistically that go in Michigan's favor. But Montana is one of those teams we've seen that, that can kind of just sort of be a thorn in your side in these types of games. Uh, if Michigan, who has been inconsistent as of late, if they're not kind of hitting, and this is not, we talked about teams, maybe it's one of the uh, coach's best teams. This is not John Beeline's best team he's had there. Montana, they can make things interesting here. Yeah, Montana's a good offensive team. You know, they're, they're in the tournament here for back-to-back years, and I think – this is a rematch because I think they played Michigan last year. I should have checked that out. But anyway, uh, the the Grizzlies shoot 49.6% from the floor. They're, they're very guard-oriented. Uh, Travis DeCure is another one of those coaches that's on the rise uh, from what he's done here with the Grizz. Uh, I, I think what they've got to do is they've got to take Ignace Brasdakis out of the out of the equation somewhat for the Wolverines. I'm not sure anybody can do that totally. He's a very skilled player, you know, Canadian player uh, with really good polished fundamentals. Key thing is the Michigan defense is third in the country in limiting points at 58.8 points per game. Uh, Like you say, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, not that, not that tough a trip from uh, the state of Montana. I, I kind of like, I tell you, I'm like you, I kind of think if Montana can keep this game uh, interesting and get it down inside of eight minutes, they've got a really good shot to win here against the Wolverines. Okay, and you said it, and I was going to hold it off because I, I, the reason, I think both teams are different from that matchup last year, and that's what I was going to get to. I wanted to see where you were going to go with it, but you look back at that game last year, 61-47 was the final. They just sort of felt like different teams. Montana got out to a really good start in that game last year, too, and I remember that. that They got off pretty nice little start. Michigan made a run. Wasn't a whole lot Montana could do offensively after that, and they had problems uh, with them there when you looked at it. But I think you've got kind of a different sort of setup here uh, when you look at these two teams. I don't know. Again, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to pull the upset, but I will say that of the 215 matchups, this is the one to probably keep your eye on just because two teams have some familiarity with each other and knowing that Michigan defensively is got got it, but Montana's also a pretty good offensive team and they may be able to cause some problems there uh, depending on how things unfold in this particular matchup. All right, Ken, to the fun part. Let's go through, uh, as we do on all these, uh, several questions to kind of give some insight into what we think is going to happen uh, as we go throughout this entire region, not just in the first round. Let's start, uh, as we uh, usually do, with your most anticipated first-round game. 
Well, this would this one's got lots of uh, possibilities, but I'm going to stay with Nevada and Florida. I think you know, like we were, like we broke down, you know, the matchup between Florida's defense against the power uh, of the Nevada and and also uh, the experience of Nevada plus. Eric Musselman, you don't think those Wolfpack players are going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder uh, after being a seven seed with a 29 and four record as good as they've been this year? Yeah, they are. And since you took that one, I'll go to the other one, I think, which is probably the next most obvious one and probably the, the favorite for a lot of people. I just Marquette versus Murray State. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, Marcus Howard, John Moran, it's just. That's a game that could get that could get fun. Either or. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. There's no perfect selection, uh, but you know, too. Buffalo plays Arizona State. That could equally be in the mix because yeah. of that storyline uh, there with that one. So several great picks, uh, no doubt, for the most anticipated matchup in this region. All right, Ken, uh, your upset pick. Uh, I think you may have said it earlier, but uh, let's go ahead and hear it again. What's your uh, What's your one upset you're going to go with on this one if you had to pick one? Oh, the racers, Ja Morant. I'm I'm on the Ja train, man. Uh, you know, again, I, I love this kid. I love to watch him play. I love his spirit. I love his passion. Marquette, they've been in a downward spiral. I don't see any reason why, uh, you know, they would they – would, uh, I don't see any reason or, or any way for them to turn this around now. And I'm going to tell you this, Murray State, is a better basketball team than probably half of the teams they've faced in the Big East. Well, I think that's the one I would go with uh, just because not just the 5'10", but you said it. I mean, Matt McMahon, a tremendous job. He's done at Murray State and, and Morant. He's just someone that, that can completely change the game. Ask him Marcus Howard, but I think Murray State's defense and their ability there, that's the one you go with. Uh, it seems like because I, I think if you go with Florida Nevada, I don't feel like that's it's a huge upset. Now it's it's right. one that I think Nevada's the favorite and rightfully so, but it wouldn't be a huge upset. So I think Murray State over Marquette would, would be. You cons- I was going to ask you, would you consider Arizona State over Buffalo a huge upset? Well, I, I mean, I think it would be an upset. I don't know how big of an upset it would be because I just yeah. you know again I think it goes back to Arizona State, which is a team that. It doesn't have a, a bulletproof resume and was right there on the line in terms of getting into this tournament. So Buffalo, as well as they play, I think it would be a little bit of an upset, a huge upset. I think sometimes maybe it's just hard to say that because, like you said, when Arizona State plays its potential, it's a team that can be pretty good, as we saw uh, earlier in the season. So uh, that, that should be good, and if we get that matchup, certainly the storyline there is one that everyone wants to see. All right, Ken, uh, let's go to the next one. The seventh seed or lower that can win multiple games in the first round. Not saying it's going to happen, but if you had to pick a seventh seed or lower that can win multiple games, who is it? Nevada. I'm on on the must bus. I'm on the jaw train (laughs) and the must bus. I've got plenty of transportation. It's just the experience. It's the players we've talked about already. Uh, and it's the fact that this team is going to play with the chip on its shoulder. They're going to be super focused uh, to get to Minneapolis. Yeah, Nevada's the best choice for that one. Murray State, as much as I like them possibly winning that first-round matchup, they get a tough draw against Florida State in the second round. Um, and, yeah. you know, but uh, I will say this too. You said it a second ago. Arizona State. Um, 
I just think it's a tough. If even if they had beat Buffalo, it's tough to come past Texas Tech, and I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they would have a much better chance than St. John's would in that scenario. So yeah, Nevada's the the best choice here, and I think it's a pretty clear choice. Uh, if you have to pick a seventh seed or lower, they can win multiple games in this part of the region. All right, Ken, how many teams could actually win this region? Who are the how many? What's the number of the teams you think have a legitimate shot of winning this region? Well, you know, I, I'm going to stay with Gonzaga. Uh I'm going to say Michigan, going to say Nevada, going to say Texas Tech, going to say (laughs) Buffalo. My favorite, though, my pick to win the region is the Florida State Seminoles. There you go. You've got the Seminoles winning it. Uh, In terms of how many teams I think could win it, I would probably go five, and that would be Gonzaga, Florida State, Texas Tech, Michigan, and Nevada. Yeah. and I think, yeah, uh, that would be my five. The pick to win this thing, I am going to stick with the Zags just because they've been a team all year long uh, throwing out the performance. Like I said, I think there's going to be way too many people that read into that championship game performance against St. Mary's uh, and really sort of go the complete opposite direction. If you look at their numbers, if you look at what they've done all season long, I don't know if people remember this, but they did beat Duke, and it seems like that's what everybody me- you know measures everyone by at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. They beat Duke, and if a team like that can prove itself in that type of situation, I don't care when the game was played this season. I, I really like their and, and I kind of like their matchup. Like you said, that Gonzaga-Florida State, to me, that's what I would have in that Sweet 16. That's going to be the toughest matchup, I mm-hmm. think, for the Zags. I think they would match up well against whoever came out of the bottom of the part of the, of the bracket. So I will stick with the Zags, but that is, I think, you know, that Gonzaga Florida State could be uh, the one that decides which team advances to the Final Four out of this region. All right, that was our 2019 NCAA Tournament Region Preview for the West. Uh, Like I mentioned before, if you've yet to listen to the Midwest Preview, go back, uh, find that on the previous episode to this one, uh, and be sure you're subscribed to the Southeast Hoops podcast. Just go to any podcast app that you use. Search for Southeast Hoops. That way you don't miss any of these uh, episodes we have coming up. And now that we've done the West and the Midwest, we will do the East and South as well, as there are SEC teams in both of those regions, of course. Uh, So I'll continue to share those on this one. And for those of you who maybe only subscribed to the SEC podcast and not the national podcast. That way you don't miss any of this stuff uh, that we're going to have coming up with all these previews so you can uh, have all the information you need to fill out your bracket. Um, and no, since some people have asked, I do not have an all-SEC Final Four, uh, but I may have a couple of SEC teams in the Final Four. But you'll get to learn more about that as we go along uh, with these individual region previews. And as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, doing more periscopes. So be sure you're following me on Twitter at the Blake Level so we can have conversations uh, after games, all sorts of stuff. We're going to have a lot of fun here as we go throughout the tournament. So thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.